missions is, is one of those subjects that a lot of people, they, 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 we get to that, those points and, and people are like, oh, it's, it's missions, I'm just going to stay home, I'm just going to do this, or I don't want to see another slideshow and cry at a missionary or, or whatever. It, sometimes we get that sentiment, but this morning what I want to talk to you about for, for just a few minutes today is what are signs of a great missions church? Five qualities of a great missions church that we see proclaimed throughout Scripture. And, and, and really, what is, what is missions all about, and, and why do we do it, um, and why is it so important? Um, and so we want to talk just a, just a few minutes um, about that this morning. And I love missions, and I've been privileged um, since, I was a, since I was a child um, to, to go around the world and to be a part of, of, of many different things in, in many different places and I think to date, it's like over 26 countries that I've had the privilege um, to travel in um, and, uh, and see the things that God's up to um, in just about every continent, uh, with the exception of Antarctica. And I don't have any, any plans on going there anytime soon. Um, even though I think this winter I'm going to feel like that I live there. Um, <laughs> for those of you that are new, I just came here from Texas, and so, you know, we're eagerly anticipating winter. Um, if you have your Bibles, you may want to go ahead and, and, uh, and flip over to the book of Philippians. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to take a look at some things that, that Paul says to the, to the, the Philippian church. Um, but I, I love missions, and it's, it's amazing um, as you travel. And we heard this morning um, uh, from, from Marty talking about snakes, you know, coming from the ceiling in Africa. Um, and I pray that there are never snakes that appear um, in this church. <laughs> Um, that is my one hope and desire, if there is any, that there are no snakes um, ever in the church. I don't do church, uh, snakes in church. Um, I don't do snakes anywhere, to be honest with you. Um, that's one thing that I do not like. Um, yes, amen. If I see it, um, it's, yeah, it's not going to survive. Um, I don't do snakes. In fact, I saw somebody in church posted a picture. They had found this gigantic snake in their garage um, over the weekend, and that's just a big old nope for me. Um, I don't want anything to do with snakes. But it's amazing um, as you travel and you get outside the, the sphere, you know, of, of the American church and of our American society, um, and, and really what we are blessed with and the things that we have and the opportunities that we have that because we've all grown up in it and, and a lot of us have never really experienced what life looks like outside of that, when you go and you step into some other places around the world, it is absolutely incredible how blessed that we are. Um, I know of one, uh, one pastor uh, from Africa that, um, that had come to the States and was and was doing some itinerating and was, and was raising some money for some projects and things that they were doing. And it was his first time um, in the United States. Um, and w- while they were there, we had them staying at a house. And so we were taking them to the grocery store uh, to get some food and supplies while they were there. And they were kind of using um, one of these houses as, as a hub as they went out. Um, and uh, this church that we were a part of had this project we called the Nehemiah Project and where we were building um, tabernacles and, and church buildings um, all throughout Africa. And uh, it was his first time to the States and we, we walked him into the grocery store and when the automatic doors opened to the store and he looked in, him and his wife, for the first time, they both broke down and they wept. They could not even physically go in there because they were so overwhelmed at the abundance of not only food, but of choices. 
And it's amazing the things that, you know, that we take for granted in this country. And even some of us, you know, when we, we fall on hard times and maybe our budgets are strapped and maybe, you know, we're living check to check or sometimes not even check to check and we're trying to figure out how to make it. You have to understand that even in, in that circumstance in this nation, you're still more privileged than 95% of the world in the way that they live because that whole, we thank you for our daily bread for a lot of churches around the world and the, and the Christians in those churches. That's not just a, a, a neat prayer that they say at, at dinner time or that they think about. That, that's actually the way they live, is we thank you for this that we have, this abundance right now that we have to eat. And, and, and that's true around the world. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is, is what is our mandate and why has God blessed us and the things that God has given to us um, as we talked about a little bit last week, too, that God has blessed us with so much to be a conduit of his blessings. Why does God give us so much? So that we can give it and be his hands extended into this community and around this world, ultimately. Philippians chapter 4, um, this morning we're going to begin um, in verse 19. This is probably one of the most famous passages of Scripture, um, and it's one of those passages of Scripture that oftentimes is used um, not in the best way. Uh, so we're going to talk about um, this this morning. It says this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. And, and I think this is one of the most well-known verses um, in all of the Bible. And I think one of the reasons is, is all of us, no matter where we are at, no matter what our station of life is, no matter where our, our, we fall on the economic scale, that we all have needs that need to be met. Each and every one of us. And, the, and this Bible is a promise that says God will meet every need according to his riches. Now, a lot of times we, we immediately want to apply that to, well, I have a need, I, I need more money, and so God's going to, you know, miraculously just, you know, throw money and I'm going to wake up one day and I'm going to have money in my bank account to take care of all this because I have this need. God's going to meet it because my God's like super rich. It's almost like having, um, the way we think about this, you know, like a rich uncle, you know, that's going to like just mysteriously die and leave you his estate. Um, you know, and God's going to meet your needs that way. But that's not really what this verse means. What it means is, is that God is going to meet our need according to his riches. And what is God's riches? Jesus It's also us. God has given each and every one of us not only talents and abilities, but skills, but also resources, because we are God's economy. And God's economy doesn't work if God's people don't invest in God's economy and bless others with what we've been blessed with. Now, some of you say, well, I haven't been blessed with enough of this. It's talents, it's time, it's resources as a whole, and it's also money that we can give. Is this promise, though, for every believer, or is it only for certain believers? And is this promise of God meeting our need available for every church, or is it just available for some churches? Well, if we look at verse 15 um, in the same chapter, we're, we're going to find out really what it says. It says this, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Now, according to, to the verse 15, it said many churches um, had every need met by God, right? 
many churches. No, it actually, it says one church. And so if we want God to meet all of our needs, then this whole chapter in four is really showing us what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be. What, what are we supposed to be when it comes to missions? What are we, gonna, what are we supposed to be when it talks about sending and going um, and receiving? You see that at the end, he says that, that, that no church entered in a partnership with me in giving and receiving. You notice that giving and receiving. This is that law of blessing and then sacrifice and the sacrifices in giving. God blesses us to be a conduit of his grace, of his mercy, of his love, and also through the resources that he's given to us. So if we want to be a church that has all of its needs met, then we have to be a church that looks like the kind of church that God wants us to be. And this entire letter in this chapter to Philippians is admonishing them for who they have been and for how they have invested in the things that God thinks is important. Now, it's, it's interesting to note also in this passage of Scripture that Paul says there was a lot of churches that had opportunities. Now, this is really the beginning when, when Paul sets out on this, on this first missionary journey. This is the beginning of global missions. This is the beginning, really, of that Great Commission where it's talking about going into all the world. Because prior to this, the, the gospel presentation had, had mainly just been in Jerusalem and a little bit of the surrounding area around it, and it was mainly um, pointed at the Hebrews, God's children. And so now we see Paul, who's saying that, that, the, that the message and that the gospel and that what God is doing is not only just available for the Jews, but it's also available for the Gentile. And so the church begins to expand its horizons. And Paul says, I'm going to go into Macedonia. I need some churches to partner with me so that we can go and we can carry this good news to the rest of the world as Christ had commanded us. But only one church, the Philippian church, had agreed to a partnership with Paul. And so this Philippian church was a great missions giving church. And it was easy back then to know who was a great missions church and what their motivation was because it was only one missionary. At that time, it was Paul. And Paul's mission work was the only missions work that was going on. So it was really easy to see who was a great missions church and where their heart was and what they were doing and how God had commanded us to go. We have to remember that we have been commanded to go into all the world. And so since Paul's the only missionary at the time, it's really easy to see who was a strong missions church. So five qualities of a great missions giving church. And I think these five qualities are what we need to be and make sure and to hold ourselves accountable that we are this. First thing is, great missions-giving churches have concern for other people. Now you think, yeah, okay, duh. You would be surprised. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, what Paul's talking about here is this church in Philippians had not had the opportunity to give to him in, in, in quite a while because they were needy. And so Paul says, I'm so excited that you have renewed your concern for me. I kind of love the way that's worded, too, that you've renewed your concern for me. Um, some of us need to renew our concern for others. And the Philippian church um, was, was very much a church that was aware of its surroundings. And, and we are never going to give to missions 
We're never going to go. We're never going to fund. We're never going to do any of the things that it takes to be a good missions church if we do not have concern for other people. What do I mean by that? How many of you have ever gone um, into, into some place like Sam's? A lot of times if you go to Sam's Club, you see this happen. And you see it at Walmart. And, and I know around here, um, all the sports teams and clubs and organizations, they all do these things, you know, where they go to a store and they have a table set up outside. And as you're coming out of the store, you know, they hit you up for a cookie or, you know, for whatever. And, you know, they're, they're raising money um, for their organization. But now what is typically your first thought as you're walking up to the store and you see that table, I can tell by your kind of like <laughs> chuckling that it's pretty similar for all of us, right? We're like, oh. And so what do we do after we check out, right? We've forgotten because we've been so distracted with the, with the plethora of things for us to buy. You know, and if we're at Sam's, we've bought in bulk and we have, you know, 73 pounds of ketchup and you know, 42 pounds of mayonnaise and a big thing of lunch meat of ham that, you know, it's like the size of a hog, you know. And so you've got all this loaded in your thing and you've totally forgot about it. And while the ladies draw on a smiley face with a highlighter on your receipt, what happens? You see the table. And what happens then? You try to devise how you're going to get out the door, right, without them seeing you. And you either having to A, oblige and give something, or B, say no. So what do you do? You wait, right? And you leave in numbers. They can't get all of us. (laughs) And so there you are camping out, trying to avoid, you know, the, you know, eight and under baseball team that's selling cookies, you know. And and what do you do? You keep your, your car down and you just push really fast. Right? Yeah, I think we've all been there. Why, do, why is it that we do that? Is it because we don't like kids? Is it because we don't believe in, you know, baseball or whatever it is that there, or the children's hospital or any of that stuff? Would, would any of us, you know, say like, oh, you know, I'm not giving. No, it's not because we don't have a, a concern or that we don't, like, believe in that organization. We think all those things are great things. But the problem is, is that we don't have any need of that organization because we're not a part of it because we're not we don't have a dog in the hunt so to speak right and so what do we do we try to get out of having a dog or a dollar in the hunt in this sense but now if you're the poor parent that's standing out there with your kids that's trying to raise money so that the, you know the kids can can do whatever it is they're trying to do or this organization or you're the poor you know salvation army guy with the bell trying to get somebody to, to invest, right? It's because we're not invested in it, so we don't have a concern for really what they're doing. We don't think it's a bad idea. We actually think it's a great idea. I bet if we, if we took a poll in here this morning and said, how many of you think, you know, the Children's Hospital of Illinois is a bad thing? No one in here would slip up their hands. But how many of us actually have a concern for the Children's Hospital of Illinois is a different matter. Because most of us have never had to rely, we've never had a need that has been presented for us that we've actually had need of anything that they do. But I bet little Camden Moulton, when she broke her arm and had four or five surgeries and the services that they provided to that family and the way they helped them get over some of the things that existed, I bet you they would look differently at that table 
outside of Sam's Club for the Illinois Children's Hospital because suddenly the knee that was presented, they had concern for. And, and I use that analogy because I myself, this past Friday, was confronted with the Children's Hospital of Illinois at Sam's. <laughs> but they were smart. They didn't catch us going out. They caught you going in. There was nothing you could do. And you're face-to-face with a decision. But, you know what? Because of the time that I had spent with this family in our church that was walking through a season that they had to go through, that was a difficult time for them, and because I had seen what, what, a, what, a, what a great place it was in the way that they were helping this family— through this crisis, you know what? I had a concern when I heard the name because there was something that was associated with that name that touched me because I had seen what it had done in the life of someone else. And so suddenly my, my perspective changes. I was ready to, like, you know, use one of the kids as a shield and be like, he's got to go to the bathroom, you know, and run through. Like some of you have probably done, used your kids in that way. Oh, don't laugh. You've done it. That's one of the, that's one of the, the you know, the, the privileges of having children is you're allowed to use them to get out of certain situations, right? They become your get-out-of-jail-free card in some, in some instances. But there's always these things that present themselves to us as opportunities that we have. And a lot of churches and a lot of Christians, unfortunately, when it comes to giving regularly our tithes and our offerings, or when it comes to giving to something like missions, which is meant to be above and beyond— all right, so hold on. Some of you look confused. Let me say that again. Let's, let's, okay, so when we talk about tithes, right, that's what God has, has said, that we, that we should bring our first fruits, our 10%, that we should give that to him because he's given it to us, right? And I know almost all of you are doing that, right? Amen? Man, it's funny. I start talking about something like that. It gets really quiet in here. A minute ago, y'all were all laughing and having a great time uh, talking about Sam's Club. We start talking about 10%, and you're like, hey, it's 10%. You know, but I get it. But that's our tithe. That's our, that's our duty to return to the storehouse, right? What God has so graciously blessed us with, right? So we bring that in. Now, when we talk about missions and we talk about other things, that's not that. That's something different. That's something more. And when we give the missions and we do these things, it's sacrificial, right? Like, if you go to Sam's, you pay to be a member of that Sam's club, Right? Now, you don't, you don't go in there and go, hey, um, so you guys are going to hit me up for at least 10 of these, you know, types of ordeals throughout the year. So my membership costs this amount of money. I want this amount of my membership fee to just go directly to those people so that I don't have to get hit up and be like, no, I've already done that, right? That's how it works, isn't it? Oh, no, it doesn't work like that, right? Because we have to, you have to invest first in this part and then they give you the ability to do that. Well, that's the same thing that God does. God has blessed us with, with a beautiful facility, a campus, ministries, and things that we can do that, that, that we are ministering to the whole family um, from, from way down here to way up here. Right? Some of us that have just come into the world and some of us that are getting close to leaving it. And everybody in between. And so in order to, to make those kinds of things happen and to, and to make uh, the lights come on, that's a good thing, right? And heat in the winter and all those kinds of things, they take resources. And just in case you, you, you were concerned, um, the state of Illinois, or no, neither does Ameren or any of those other people, um, generously donate electricity to, because we're a church. We still get a bill just like you do. 
right? So God gives us the opportunity through our tithes to further the work that we are called to do as a church in our community. But God has also given us a calling that goes beyond that stretch. See, what we do in our tithes and our offering is, is, is us taking care of us and us being able to take care of our community and the people right around us. It's our Jerusalem. But God has also called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, each and every one of us can't go, can we? But we have some amazing people that we support that are going, and God gives us the opportunity to further that great commission, and so we have to be willing to sow into that above and beyond in order for that to happen. And that's what Paul's talking about here in verse 15. He's telling this Philippian church that, that he's, he's so excited that they, that they are continuing to give to him and to sow into what he's doing. And you have to understand, if it really wasn't for that church at Philipp, in the Philippian church and their willingness to sow seed into Paul's ministry and his missions work, guess where you would be today? Probably not in here. You know why? Because of this missions work that Paul was doing as his first missionary, the gospel was presented for the first time to the Gentiles. So without that gospel message going to the Gentiles, you and I wouldn't be here today. I don't know what we would be doing, but we wouldn't probably be here. And and that trend would have continued until somebody got in tune with the heart of God and said, yes, Lord, I'm going to invest. Yes, Lord, I'm going to do what you've called me to do, and I'm going to be a part of your work. And because of that, we are here today because the Philippian church was willing to invest. Now, what was Jesus the most concerned about? The lost. He says this in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's what Jesus sums up his entire mission in coming to earth in these words. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. What was lost, that relationship between God and man. And so Jesus comes to seek and save those that are, that are lost. And we have to make sure that we, that we as a church have concern for other people, that we don't view missions and we don't view um, the, the great report that we heard of, of what God's doing in Haiti and how we've been able to be such a, an integral part of that throughout the years. But we can't just treat Haiti and, and some of these other places that we're going to talk about and some of these other ministries like we do that dreaded table as we come out of Walmart or Sam's. We can't look at it that way. We have to understand that as the people of God, that we are called to have a concern for other people and that we are called to have a concern for those around the world and we have a mandate and a responsibility because of what God's given us that we get to invest back in his kingdom. Because if we don't, scriptures like we see here in Philippians chapter 4, or when he says that my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. You see, that part, that part of the promise, we always want to pull that part out. But the part that we're forgetting about is that's verse 15. Or excuse me, verse 19. So before that, what are the other 19 verses about? What are the other 18 verses about leading up to that? Well, it's about this church that's willing to sow generously into what Paul's doing and their responsibility and their concern for other people. 
And Paul's admonishing them for that and for continuing that work. So the thing that we always have to remember about God's promises is we don't get to just pull them out and go and put it on our refrigerator and go, God will supply all my need. Because if we're not living, verse 1 through 18, and the verses to follow and understanding the system that's in place, we can't very well call on the promise if we're not invested in the process that gets us to the promise. And that's what he's talking about in this week. So number one, great mission churches have a concern for others. Number two, great missions churches find their contentment in the Lord. Now there's another passage here in chapter four where Paul talks about in verse 11 through 13 that he talks about that he's been content to learn to live in, in great abundance and in great need. And basically what, what he's saying is, is, you know, I've gone through these seasons where I've had nowhere to live, I've had no food, I've had no money. In fact, I've been in jail. Like, there's all these things that have happened to me where I have had need. And there have also been seasons that I've had great abundance and God has blessed me over and beyond. And, and I've, you know, and I've made great friends and communities that have taken care of me and that have, you know, put me in their house. You know, one of those people is Lydia in the Bible. She's a very wealthy woman who, who invested in Paul's ministry and, and really did a great work in partnering with Paul. But what's amazing is, as Paul says, I've learned to be content. It means that no matter where I am, no matter if my, if my status is high or if my status is low, if I'm in need or if I'm in plenty, if I have abundance or need, I have learned to be content because I know, he goes back to, he goes to this verse, that my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He's saying, so I'm not swayed by the ups and downs of life and the ups and downs of what happens to me, but my content, my contentment is in God, and I know that God is going to do what only he can do if I'm willing to just do my part. So Paul's contentment, the, the reason that he's content is not because he doesn't care. It's because he knows that God will meet the need. That God's going to meet the need. Number three, great mission churches stay committed to the cause of missions. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a growing trend in, in, the, in, the, in the U.S. And, and really ultimately around the world where you see a lot of people that are um, they're doing away with missions almost all together. A lot of churches are like, ah, oh, you know, we don't do that. We're just going to take care of ourselves. And, we're gonna, and, and the thing is, while we do have a, a responsibility and a mandate to be good stewards over what God's given us here and to be good stewards over the work that he's called us to do here in our community, God has also called us to something bigger than that. And if we're not willing to be a generous church, right, and, and to live in God's economy the same way that we're talking about in each and every one of our individual lives, if our collective lives as a church, if we're not willing to invest and, and do the exact same thing, whether we're in abundance or need, and find our contentment to know that God is going to do what only He can do, right, and that God will meet our need according to His riches, if we're going to believe that and we're going to claim that, then we have to be a church that lives like that. And that exists like that. And we are, and we're going to continue to be. But the thing is, is that what we do cannot be driven by our circumstances. Because our circumstances are always going to change. You know, you could lose your job tomorrow and be in a completely different economic state than you are today. And the thing is, is how does your faith work 
in that season. And then for some of us in here who maybe we're in that season right now, tomorrow, God could open up a door and you could walk into uh, to a, a blessing of a job that's going to do great and, and, and completely change your situation. How does our faith carry us through in that season? It's because we have to learn to be like Paul and to learn to live content regardless. Number four, missions, churches have credit with the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, verse 17 through 20. Listen to this. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received. Listen to this. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And then he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to to his riches and glory. So you, you see that Paul's going back to them and saying, look, man, everything is great. I have received this. And he's like, your gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now, those just aren't words. There's actually really deep meaning in what he chooses to say. And we're going to talk about that here. There are three things that we get credit for in God's economy, according to the scripture, according to Paul. The first thing is this. Every extravagant offering. You see where he says that? Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account, right? What God is going to credit to your account. And he says, the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering. Now, where do we, else do we see in, in, in Scripture this idea of a fragrant offering? In the Gospels, there's this beautiful account that uh, we've talked about in here, and it's, it, everybody knows it. It's the, that woman who came with that alabaster box. We even write songs about it. And she came, what, at the Pharisee's house, and she washed Jesus' feet with a very expensive ointment and perfume. It was an extravagant offering that was over and beyond. It was over the top. And, and she, she wasn't giving out of need. She was giving to bless. And Jesus called it that. So the first thing that we get is every extravagant offering. Now, now, if we also remember in the gospel, there's another extravagant offering that was given. And we have to understand that extravagance, in God's eyes, has nothing to do with abundance. Extravagant, in God's eyes, has nothing to do with abundance. Because there's also a parable that Jesus told not long after this, that Jesus talked about there there was a widow woman. And this rich guy comes in front of her and he gives what? He gives this big sum of money and everyone's oohing and on over this amount. But this widow comes behind him and she gives everything that she had, this one penny, basically. She placed it in the offering and Jesus said, she has given more because she gave extravagantly. So it's not how much that you're able to do. And see, we have to stop trying to think of God's economy as the way we view things in, in our world and the way we do math and the way we do things and the way we look at things. Because God looks at it differently. God looks at your heart. You may be sitting there going, I, 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 can, I don't even have a dollar. Neither did she. But Jesus said that she was the most blessed and that she had given extravagantly because she was willing to give, not out of abundance, but out of her own need. And so into God's kingdom. Number two, the other thing we get credit for, every acceptable sacrifice. Now, if we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and we remember the story of Cain and Abel, 
And really, why did this first murder occur? And what happened is because one followed God's commandments, and this is all about what we were talking about a minute ago, even bringing our first fruits. Cain killed Abel because Abel was giving the very best, that extravagant, that he could give. He brought God as a sacrifice of his herds, the most perfect, the best that he could find in his own herds, and he offered that to God, and what was left he kept. But now, Cain, on the other hand, doesn't do that. He just brings a sacrifice, and God accepts one, but not the other. Because one was giving the way God had intended and was giving extravagantly and was giving an acceptable offering and the other was just going through the motions of checking something off of his list of, yeah, I did that today. Yeah, I gave. And so God honors one sacrifice, but he doesn't honor the other one. And and Paul tells us that again. Number one, extravagant. Number two, a sacrifice that's acceptable. And number three is one that is pleasing to God. A gift that is pleasing to God. And what, what, what pleases God is our heart and the posture of our heart and the reasons why and what we're doing. The obedience, but the sacrifice, but also the heart. And the Bible says God loves a what kind of giver? Cheerful, right? So it's in all of these things that we learn and that we understand that these churches that are going to be great missions churches, they're going to have credit with God. Why do we have credit with God? for three things. Because we give out of extravagance, the acceptable sacrifice, and everything that we do is pleasing to God. And the last of the five is this. They existed to see God glorified. The fifth sign of a great missions church is a church that exists to see God glorified. Philippians chapter 4, verse 20, as he kind of closes out this segment, he says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. How do we bring glory to God? There are many ways that we can do this as a church and as individuals. But I want to focus on two this morning. And something else that Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Many of you know the scripture. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. And trampled by men. You see, salt is important because salt represents who we are. Salt is about character. Salt is about how the world sees us and and who we are and how we function in the world that we're called to live in. That's what salt is about. And so we have to work on our character. We have to make sure that we're people of integrity and people of character in the world because salt and light is something that's very important to Jesus. And so our salt represents who we are. And then we see just a couple verses later in Matthew five sixteen, he says this, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so light is about who, what we do. Salt is about who we are and light is about what we do. And if what we are and what we do, if those two things matches, right? And we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. And when those two things live in harmony together, who we are and what we do, and they both represent the heart and the mind of God, then what we see happen is, is we can live in this way that God's called us to live, to be salt and light and to see Him glorified. And it means that our motives and our intentions and the way that we're living is in a way that honors and pleases God. 
But first thing is we have to be willing to go there. And I love this in, in, in Philippians, this, this whole chapter 4 really leading up. And it's really giving us a picture of, of how God wants us to live our lives and how we are to invest the same way this Philippians church did. That our lives should be a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now, you see that and, right? We all know in the English language that and is a conjunction. And what, is, what, are, what do conjunctions do? Everybody remember back to your elementary days with the conjunction unction thing, you know, with the choo-choo trains. On, everybody remember those little things that you did? That annoying song that I'm not going to sing because we'll all sing it for the next two weeks. Right? But conjunctions, what do they do? They join, right? They bring together two things. So when we have a sentence and we have another sentence that are two complete thoughts and we have a conjunction in between them. What does it do? It means these two things go together, right? Like when we say, you know, this is rich and windy. These two things go together. Thank the Lord. Right? They go together. The reason that we say and is because they go together. When you get a check and it has your name and someone else's name, what do you have to do in order to deposit or cash that check? Both people have to sign it, right? Why? Because there's an and. If it's an or, that's a totally different thing. It means these two things can be, they can stand alone. But in this instance, we see that conjunction and, which means these two things go directly together. So when you start seeing people that, that are speaking and, that, you know, maybe you're watching TV or something. You see a TV preacher and they're talking about, you know, God's going to meet all your needs. You know, just God doesn't run Merrill Lynch. You understand that, right? This is not a give to get back like this is how this If you sow this, God's going to do this. No. But this is what the Bible does say. And because the, that word and is in there, these two sentences are joined together. So let's look at it again, understanding what we just talked about, how these two things are really one. They are a fragrant offering. Remember these gifts that the Philippian church has just given. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And... My God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So what that means is, is that if we're going to claim that promise of my God will meet all your needs according to his riches, then what we have to be willing to do is we have to be willing to give extravagantly, to give an acceptable sacrifice, and to give in a way that is pleasing to God. And if we do those three things, and those three things are the posture and the stance of our life, then this promise of my God will meet all your need can be applied to your life. But we can't reap the dividends if we haven't sown the seed. Amen? And the beautiful thing about God's economy is it's not like the Dow Jones, it doesn't rise and fall. It's steady, and it's the same, and His promises are available if we are willing to do our part. But we have to be willing to give extravagantly, to give acceptably, and to give in a way that's pleasing to God. And if we do these things, then we can continue to further the work that God is doing around this world, because ultimately, the very reason that we are here on earth is to bring glory to God and to complete the mission that he has for each and every one of us and to see that gospel message furthered, not only here in Pekin, but around this world. Amen.
God, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that we have um, the, the privilege to be a missions church and that we have so many great um, people that, and missionaries that we get to invest in. And God, we ask, Lord, not for just the ones that are here today, God, but for those that are represented in this nation and around this world, and that today, Lord, all over the world, that there are things happening in your kingdom right now that we're a part of. And God, we just want to lift those families, those missionaries, their work. We want to lift all that up to you this morning. And God, we ask that you would meet their need according to the way that you have blessed us. And God, that you would let us be everything that you called us to be, that we would be a church that gives extravagantly because that's who you've called us to be. God, we thank you so much for what you've given us, and we worship you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.